Hello and welcome to episode 73 of the Synergen Leadership Podcast. For those of you who are listening for the first time, my name is Julian Carl and I'm the CEO and the co-founder of Synergen Group. I'm passionate about all things leadership and management, so passionate in fact that I decided to start a podcast about it. And here we are in season two and my purpose for the podcast continues to be the same, to raise the standard of leadership. In today's show, I speak with Wendy Bourne, who is the author of The Languages of Leadership, How to Use Your Words, Actions and Behaviours to Influence Your Team, Peers and Boss. Wendy works with leaders and leadership teams to become more effective and productive by showing them how to remove all the stuff that gets in their way. She helps them cut through by effectively managing everyone they work with. She shows leaders how to become better by driving performance, increasing accountability, having higher quality conversations, building trust, and working towards a common goal. As a result, leaders who work with Wendy are able to engage in constructive conflict, be more collaborative within and outside of their business, and make better, higher quality decisions. Now, during the course of the conversation, we explore Wendy's book in detail. I start by asking Wendy, why did she decide to write this book? We speak about the six levels of leadership and why it is important to be courageous. We also explore the idea of a leader being a catalyst for change. And I do finish up the interview by asking Wendy about her top five trust killers and why building a connection is so important. So keep listening. And as always, we'd really like to hear your thoughts about the interview with Wendy Bourne, author of The Languages of Leadership. Happy listening. Welcome to the Synergen Leadership Podcast with Julian Carl. Julian returns in 2019 with weekly conversations with leaders and authors from Australia and around the world, giving you the opportunity to share in their journey and learn from their expertise and knowledge. Julian also shares some of the tools and techniques he uses as a leader, mentor and facilitator, helping you to build your leadership capability and improve your confidence as a leader. Thank you, Wendy, for making time to come out to the Synergen HQ and uh, talk to me today about uh, your book. So why did you decide to write uh, this book, The Languages of Leadership? Mm-hmm. So over the years of working with leaders, I had the pleasure of seeing all of the amazing things that they did to themselves and all the um, um equally as amazing bad things that they did to themselves and and I watched them kind of flourish and go on and do amazing things and I also watched some eat themselves alive so um as I look back over the years of working with leaders I could identify these six traits or languages as I call them which are words behaviors and actions and so I um I kind of pulled it all together and and synthesised it into this book. And and how did you find the book writing process? I mean, we're talking a little bit before we started recording. How did you find that process? I didn't find it too bad, actually. I worked with an editor who helped me to put the plan in place, and which was brilliant because going through that process, I was able to chunk things where they should be and align things together. Um, and then once I was happy with the plan, I just started to write and nine weeks later I had a book. Nine weeks? Yep, nine weeks. <sighs> so it just kind of poured out of me. It, was, it was, wasn't that bad at all. And my editor tells me she didn't have to do much editing. So oh, so the complete opposite of my experience. I, probably, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, there's this. Uh, I'd like to start with uh, an excerpt from your introduction, if I can. Yeah. Once upon a time, it was enough just to lead your team, and that was it. But organisations today are more complex. Departments are vast. Reporting structures are multifaceted. As leaders, we are expected to manage so many different relationships at so many different levels in an organisation that it can feel as if we need multiple personalities just to stay sane. Even if you really like your job and the people you work with, there are so many things that need to get fixed. You can see the potential of the organisation, your function and your people, if only you could all get out of the way and get things done. Mm. So why are organisations such a challenge today? <laughs> Good question. Um, oh, look, I think they 
are really good at overcomplicating things and overthinking things and overanalyzing things and and we we just if it's not complex or um uh um what's the word, difficult to understand or if it's not, you know, big and meaty and bulky, then it's just we we view it as too simple, too simplistic and, you know, what worth could it have? Does that make sense? Yeah. And a lot of people also try to, you know, justify their own positions and their own work and, you know, work typically um, fills the time that you have allotted to it. So we build stuff into it and... And, you know, egos come into play and, and you know, human beings are very complex creatures. So it's just complexity on top of complexity. And, and we just can't seem to go back to basic, simple, pragmatic things with, um, in anything that we do. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> so at a very high level because yeah. we are going to explore... Uh, in a lot of detail, mm. uh, what are the, the the six leadership languages that mm-hmm. you've sort of discovered? Yeah, so I believe that the six languages that leaders should have to to lead anybody are, are, are strength. So they need to be strong, um, courageous. They need to be able to engineer their environment to get the most out of the situation or their people. Um, they need to be able to abdicate um, responsibility, but not in a way that is, you know, handed over and walk away. It's actually stepping back, which allow their people to step forward. Um, trust, so trust is the foundation of just about everything, um, and vulnerability. So if we can be vulnerable, we can um, make connections with the people that we work with and build trust and then you know, have better productive relationships. Great. Mm. Well, I'm going to start uh, digging deep. Okay. I'm going to start digging deep. So I'm going to start at the start, chapter one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you speak about this idea of being the master of your own destiny. Mm. Now, the reason this resonated with me and I want to explore it with you was quite often in the work that we do with our programs, we occasionally, or maybe not so occasionally, come across leaders who Say, oh, it's not my fault or I can't do it because of. Mm. So talk to me about this idea of master of their own destiny. So we look and um, it comes back to the fundamental attribution error, which um, we're all subject to. We will look at somebody and say, if they're doing something silly, we'll say that's your that's their personality that's doing it. But if we do something silly, it's because of the situation that we're in. It's not because of our personality. So um, we, we're hardwired to, you know, not accept accountability for the stuff that we do. So having that self-awareness to be able to actually look at what you're doing and make adjustments or corrections to what you're doing is hard work and it's not easy for some people and some people just refuse to go there. So, but, you know, for a big population of us, we, we do have some level of self-awareness, thank God. <laughs> it's um, needed. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, and look, a blame culture is a horrifying culture to work in because people get thrown under the bus everywhere yeah. and, you know, the first drop of a first smell of something going wrong, fingers start to come out and point and, you know, everybody backs away from owning it which is, you know, destructive to say the least. Um, But, and I always say to my kids, I'm always saying to my kids, the only person that you can control is yourself. You can control your behaviours and the way you think and the way you act, but you can't control anybody else. And it's the same thing at work. Once you take accountability for what you do and look at, the actions that you take and the words that you use and the behaviours that you have and you take ownership of those and you start to change them for what you want to see, then, it, you know, it's it, you, you feel more confident, you feel more in control because you've got complete control over it and you find that people start to mirror and um, copy you. And so it's it's almost like I think I use the example of if you 
um, yawn and somebody else yawns, same principle. We all, you know, and particularly if it's good behaviours, people like to do the right thing at the heart of it, I think. Okay. Yeah. So you also speak about this idea of the circle of concern versus the circle of influence, yeah. which I'm always fascinated with because I find people worrying about things that they have no control over. Yeah. So, so talk to me a little bit about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, we stop, um, you know, getting upset about stuff that we can't control. I, I just wonder how much peace in the world there would be because <laughs> we all, you know, uh, you know, I was going up a escalator the other day, and one of the there was two escalators. One wasn't working. It was at um, Spencer Street Station, and the man in front of me turns around and starts abusing the poor worker who was working on the escalator that wasn't working. And I just think, why, why, why are you so worried and so upset and get so agitated over something that's beyond your control? Just get on with your day, keep going, make the most of it and get off the escalator and keep going forward. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yes, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, anyway, but I find people constantly get so upset and so worried about stuff that's beyond the, your control. If you If you worry about the stuff that you can control and you control the stuff that you can control, which is your own behaviours, words and actions, then... You know, you can have a lot happier existence, I think. Yeah, I think so. Mm. I have to agree. Mm. How do people learn to lead better? <laughs> well, they can read my book. <laughs> of course. Shameless <laughs> plug. Everyone should go out and buy uh, Wendy's book. Yeah. Uh, look, I always think that reading, so reading is, is a good thing to do, reading as much as you can, um, observing, so looking at leaders that you a- admire or inspire you, what do they do, what are some of the actions that they do, you know, what, what are the words that they use, how do they behave, are they consistent, do, do their words marry up with their actions and their behaviours and um, and mimic. I mean, we all have learnt from the leaders that we have had over the years, that's how we become our own leaders, is it not? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, making sure that you're doing or um, learning from the right people, I think, is is the... Well, that's a challenge, right isn't it? Yeah, it is. You're making sure that you, you find those leaders that are, are worth learning from and yeah. that you don't learn from the ones that aren't worth learning uh, from. I know. And we all pick up bad habits mm. all the time, but... Having the self awareness to be able to, and the reflection to be able to look at what you do, and and you know the I guess the the honesty and the authenticity of with yourself to say, oh, you know, I could have behaved better there, or I could have done that differently, and then learning from that. Okay. Mm. So you, you, you quote Tony Robbins here, and I'm uh, I'm a Tony Robbins fan. So you, you so don't feel as though you, you can't say that because okay. I know some people. Yeah, won't. I don't mind him. Yeah. Uh, you talk about this idea that what you focus on grows, mm. and I think that it's a really important thing for leaders to consider at the moment because there's so much to focus on. How mm. do they choose what to focus on to make them better leaders? Mm. Good question. Um, well, I think it's, you know, prioritising is, you know, a skill in itself. I think, to me, I always think about um, Richard Branson and his view that if you have happy people, then your customers are going to be happy. So to me, as a leader... Focusing on your people as a priority to me would be a priority because without your people, you can't really achieve anything. So, so making sure that you have a good connection with each of your people, you understand them, understand how they are, how they operate, what motivates them, um, and then making sure that your team as a collective is tight and happy and productive, and then I think things flow on from that so so if i was a leader i that would be my first priority okay. people related 
Okay. Mm. I'm a big fan of frameworks, models, anything which I think uh, helps people to grasp mm. a concept or an idea. Yeah. And in your book, you talk about the six levels mm. of leadership. So I'd like to sort of go go through those, yeah, if we can, yeah. and just sort of at, at a high level about what you think and what why you why you believe there are those six levels. Yeah. Okay. Um. So the six six levels are kind of how I see where people sit in in organisations. So down the bottom, you know, in a silos silos if i had a dollar for every leader that said to me i've got silos happening i reckon you know i'd be pretty rich because i mean to me that's the first sign that you're at that bottom of that framework is where you've got silos and people aren't talking to each other you know there you've got competition in in your organization there is no place for competition inside an organization no place so you know um You've got infighting. Everybody's doing their own thing. That kind of behaviour. So that's at the bottom, um, and you, and you feel isolated. You know, if you think hard and fast about it, you're you're all isolated. You're not working together. Um, then, kind of the next level up is you know you're interested, but you're kind of only interested in so far as that you're half in, half out, and you're interested when it suits you, but kind of when it doesn't, then, you know, you're not. Um, and the so that's level two. Level three is you're involved, you're kind of more interested than not. Um, you're getting involved, you're making connections with your peers, um, you're starting to foster um, collaboration between your the people who report to you and the people who report to your peers as well. Um, and you're... Um, becoming more involved in the organization kind of outside of your direct team so you're working with your peers to achieve a more for the function that you're working in does that make sense yep um integrated you're um becoming more uh, aware of what's happening organizationally so outside of your own function and team and you're starting to become productive and um, more effective, although you kind of you still face obstacles and you may not really know how to overcome those obstacles yet. Um, influenced, you're, you know your way around. You can influence um, broader outside of your function and other peers of your leader are getting to know who you are so you're able to influence outside of your organize of your direct function and you could also be seen as uh, um you know on the talent list and you're going to be the next kind of in line to either your boss's role or or your boss's peers role and then inspired you're kind of on your way you're on fire your leaders of you're developing your own people as future leaders you're influence influencing outside of your organization and almost in the industry um you are on your way to ceo cfo whatever floats your boat and you kind of well you're inspirational so when you work with leaders do you ask them to consider where they sit yes what sort of responses do you get (laughs) varied um a lot of a lot of people feel well and this is the interesting bit a lot of people feel as though they're in in these silos but again it's it's their peers that are creating it not them right so helping them to understand how they contribute to the siloism and what behaviors and actions that they do that might contribute to their peers actually behaving that way and then hence your silos. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So in Chapter 3, you talk about this idea of being courageous. Yes. Why is that important for a leader? <laughs> oh, because I see so many leaders just back away from the moment when they need to actually stand up and be courageous. 
You know, they, they're they not like, for example, they might be in a meeting and they see somebody behaving badly and they just let it fly. They don't call it out or they don't, you know, talk to that person about their behaviours and, and actually do something about it because, you know, we often fear uh, the repercussions of being courageous because it, it's scary. You know, we could, we feel as though, you know, we might lose our job or we might be seen as the one that's behaving badly or, you know, we it could backfire on us and somebody might get upset with us and we might ruin a relationship or lose trust or... So it's coming from a place of fear? Yeah, and self-preservation. <laughs> self-preservation. Yeah. So, so how, do we, how do we start to educate leaders that, you know, they, they've got to think beyond that mm. because calling bad behavior out and being courageous is such a crucial part of leadership. How do, how do you encourage leaders to say, no, nah, even though I feel uncomfortable, mm. I'm going to be courageous? Yeah. Well, um, I always, my recommendation is that they always practice being courageous because the more it's like a muscle and the more courageous you are, the, the better at it you get. And I always like to practice uh, what words you would use in a situation because let's face it, most situations where you need to be courageous, you can predict because, I mean, we see them all the time. Sadly, they're common, and and you can predict, you can um, think of easily think of a scenario of which you could practice in. So we sit down and we script out. How would you say call somebody on their bad behaviours? What what are the words that you would use? And then we role play it. And it, um, by practicing using the words, when the situation arises, your brain will actually easily recall the words that you've used. So even though your heart's going to race and your breathing is going to go shallow and your palms are going to go sweaty, it's still a little easier to recall the words that you've already used. Okay. That makes sense? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Talk about shining a light. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's the light and what are we shining on? <laughs> We're shining it on our fears. Because yep. we all have fears. And I'm the queen of fears. I've got all sorts of fears. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And so um, yeah, Margie Worrell in her book um, called Brave, it's brilliant, she talks about shining a light on your fear to because fear hates light. It lurks in dark places and, you know, in the, in the middle of the night wakes you up and drives you mad. But if we shine a light on it, most times we kind of look at it and think and we, and we might talk about it and other people have a similar fear or other people have had that fear and this and tell us how they've overcome it. And so we can learn by shining a light on it. We look at it, we scrutinise it, and then we figure out, is this the worst thing that could happen to us? Probably not. Are we going to die from it? Nah, probably not either. So how can we look at it and develop strategies to overcome it? Okay. So it's really about putting a bit, bit of context around it and yeah. taking it out of that dark place. Yeah. It's also about um, exposure therapy as well. I think, like I hate spiders and there's absolutely no way that I would get in a room with a spider. But there is this thing called exposure therapy where you can progressively um, get exposed to spiders or, or whatever you fear, and the theory is that you will overcome it. I will never do it in relation to spiders. <laughs> I have done it in relation to my fear of flying. Right, okay. Yes. And it worked? So, yes, yes. I can quite successfully get on a plane now without having thoughts of, you know, I'm not going to get there. It's going to be the first major air traffic accident <laughs> in Australia and it's going to be my plane. So... So, yeah, so, um, okay. yeah, by exposure as well as, you know, reading and understanding it and I've, I've managed to overcome it. <laughs> there great. you go. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> Strength yes. is an important uh, trait for a leader to have. Mm. How do you define it and why is it important? Mm. So I think you need to be strong insofar as um, standing up for what you believe in and um, being the strength behind your team and, you know, uh, calling stuff out and 
which is courageous, but it also requires strength. Um, making a call if you need to. You know, I often see, I've seen leadership teams discuss a topic and it just goes round and round and round so much that we all get dizzy. It, and nobody makes a call. Somebody needs to be strong enough to be able to make the call. And, you know, in most cases you can say, okay, I've heard everybody's views, now my call is X. And standing by that call, not being influenced in outside of your call as well, so in corridor conversations, which I've often seen, and leaders change their mind because they've had a side bar conversation with somebody and they've influenced them to change their mind and so that just makes them look you know weak and easily influenced and not standing by their decision so okay yeah you talk about change a little bit yeah uh i'm a big believer that people leaders in particular need to be prepared to be the drivers of change yeah so talk to me about why leaders should be a catalyst for change? Oh, um, I think being the catalyst is one thing because I think change is inevitable. Every, like the whole world changes from minute to minute. Um, I think, though, being able to support their people by understanding what their people are going through during change is equally as important. You know, neurologically, our brains look for certainty all the time and um, during times of change, we don't have that certainty. And when our brains don't have certainty, we start to go into that fight, flight or fear response um, and we start to make stuff up. We, we think about all the potential possibilities and most of them are negative for us. And so um, if as a leader providing as much certainty as possible for our people will help to alleviate that. If we don't know some of the answers, actually saying, I don't know, but let's figure it out together and let's let's build certainty together will always help. You'll, you give people three ways to help them develop their skill of strength. Are you able to share with the listeners what those three ways are? Sure, they are. Set the expectations with your team, first and foremost. So that is being absolutely crystal clear on what your expectations of each member are because that then gives them clarity and certainty and so neurologically they get it as well as it gives you something to measure them by. And so when you need to have a conversation that if they didn't deliver it, you've got something clear and certain that to compare that to. And then your conversation with that person is much more structured and easier to have. Does that make sense? Yep. Um, hold your people to account. So, you know, that, that by setting that expectations up front, you do have something to keep them accountable too so you, you know with um, being strong enough to be able to have that difficult conversation when they don't meet those expectations and you have to hold them account is critical um and then learn to say no write oh, <laughs> a dollar for every time somebody has said no and then change their mind it i think you know being able to stand in front of your team and say I've heard what everybody has said and my decision is this, which means no to you and yes to you or no to all of you or yes to all of you. You know, either way, standing, making that call and making that decision is absolutely critical to show that you're a strong leader. Okay. Yeah, the reason I want to zero in on that, one of the the things which drives me bonkers is in the programs we run mm. when we talk about expectations yeah. and we ask it, people to look at it from the level of are they clear about what the expectations are on them yeah. and then are they translate it and set expectations on their teams, yeah. invariably yeah. there's significant gaps there. Mm. And I think if all you did was do that, yeah. things would be so much better. Yeah. Mm. And I kind of think, you know, sadly, you know, we're not mind readers. Because if no. everybody was, it'd make it a whole lot easier. But it's you have to state your expectations down to the 
explaining to your mother type way so that it's absolutely crystal clear. And it's going to feel stupid and uncomfortable because you kind of think, well, these are bright people and they have brains. Surely they'd get it. But And they do get it, but if you meticulously go through what your expectations are, then there is no ambiguity and no uncertainty and and you've had that conversation up front. So your follow-up conversation, if it's, it needs to be a difficult one, is going to be easier. Yeah. Yeah. So how do, how do leaders engineer the world around them? <laughs> well, um, this, this was an interesting chapter to write because um, I initially called it um, manipulating the world, but manipulation <laughs> has such a, a bad connotation to it because it is kind of manipulating um, but in a positive way. You know, you, you need to be able to move things around for your people to be able to step in to what they need to. And I use the example of um, in the book where I had a leader once who wanted me to present something and I said, no, no, I'm not going there because it was to a bunch of senior leaders and he said, yeah, yeah, you can do it. And I said, no, no, I'm not, I'm not, I refuse to. And so he said, all right, that's fine, I'll do it. Just prepare all the slides and everything. So I did that and then came on the day of the presentation and he was he didn't show up for the time and I thought oh my god what am I going to do so I he rang me and he said I'm stuck in traffic and you're going to have to go in and do it so I just went in and presented it and it was easy because it was my work and I knew what it was so it was easy but it was very nerve-wracking and it went well and, you know, everybody was happy. And then when I came out, he was at his desk and he said, I was sitting downstairs in an office, but I wanted you to do this because it's your work and you need to be able to talk to your work. And so I hated him in that moment, but it was one of the best things that he ever did for me. So so I'm not suggesting that everybody should, you know, not turn up to meetings or anything yeah. like that, but using... That your environment to get the most out of your people is, um, you know, a really great way to help them to develop into great leaders as well. Okay. I was fascinated with this idea of currency. Oh, yeah. And yeah, uh, the fact that we, we all have one. Yeah. Apparently. So, yeah. so. <laughs> we so do. <laughs> yeah. So talk, talk to us about that, the yes. currency piece. So this came from a book. Uh, called Influence Without Authority. And I read this years ago because I could never figure out how to influence people who um, weren't direct reports of me. And so what they talk about is this currency. Everybody's got something that they're willing to trade or barter with to um, get what they want. So it might be that... Uh, so an example is, you know, if you've got a a peer who really likes to be the, you know, big show off and likes to claim credit for stuff, then um, if you happen to be working together on something, you know, you could use that for him to claim the credit of. and But in return, you know, can is he able to give you something that you value in the future? So it's oh. it's like a, it's like, you know, eBay for businesses or eBay for leaders. Okay. You know, you can you can buy and trade stuff. Okay. Yeah. But you just need to figure out what it is and you can do that through observing people. And you know, some people's not hard, some yeah. people it's a bit harder. I wonder if that's a title for a book, eBay for leaders. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's maybe got a nice it ring is. to it. <laughs> you, yeah. This idea of abdicating power. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm interested in it. Okay. I, I find that a lot of leaders that I work with mm. find it a challenge. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they find it a challenge. Yeah, they do. And they're, they're looking for ways to learn how to do it. Mm. So, so what insights can you share with us around that? So I think I always use the example of empowering our people. Like we all think we, you know, we have empowered people. Until it comes to crunch time when, 
you know, if it's not done the way that I would do it, then, you know, I'm not quite, not 100% happy with it. But truly empowering our people is 50% them owning it and 50% us letting go as leaders and letting them come up with a solution that even though it's not the the way that we would do it, we still let them do it that way. And I always say that, you know, five and five makes 10, but so does seven and three and eight and two. So you still get to the same outcome, but through different ways. So being open to letting your people come up with an idea and run with it to get to an outcome and and stepping back and letting them own it and letting go of that control is is what abdication is about. And that's where the, the skinning of the cat oh, yeah. comes yeah, into it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, and that's right. There's many ways to skin a cat, as the saying goes. So, um, you know, being open and um, and vulnerable. It's vulnerable to let go of control of something, particularly as a leader, because, you know, in our experience we might have seen something done this way and it goes wrong, but... You know, um, just because we've seen it one way doesn't mean that it's going to happen exactly that same way again because you've got different minds, you've got different people, you've got different personalities in there, say, the second time that, you know, variables will change. So how do we counter the experience that I'm sure many leaders have had where they've tried to? Mm abdicate mm. and uh, it just hasn't worked the way they wanted it to and I'm thinking of myself in a particular oh, yeah. <laughs> circumstance here. Yeah. Uh, it, it tends to make them a little bit more gun shy yeah. into doing it. So how do we encourage them to keep trying? Yeah. Well, you have to be conscious of it and um, uh, start small. So if you've had something that's gone wrong, then go back to starting small. So um, start with small pieces of work that you give up and, and you know, trust is, is also important here. You need to be able to trust the person that actually you're handing it over to. And so if you have that solid foundation of trust, even if they fail, you know, you need to debrief and make sure that the person has learned from it and... Um, and everybody gets something out of it, even though it might it might have turned out different to what you really wanted. So yeah, well, that's a perfect segue into chapter seven because mm. I wanted to talk to you about trust. Yeah, because you you talk about this idea that you trust, but you as a leader are also trusted. Yeah, yeah. So how do we how do we navigate that pathway of mm. thinking about that? Do you, number one, do you trust as a leader? Number mm. two, do your people actually trust you? Because I wonder if many leaders have actually asked themselves that. Yeah, well, I dare say they haven't, (laughs) in my experience. Um, But you're right. You need to, like to me, trust is the foundation of every relationship and every um, positive relationship that we have. It it impacts productivity and engagement and safety and so many things in an organisation, yet it's so undervalued as far as I'm concerned. We, We just don't appreciate the worth of it. Um, but so, and, and this, you know, your, um, behaviors and your words and your actions need to align to show that your people, that you are trustworthy. Um, and as well as you need to be able to trust your people to be able to stand up and do their job, which is, comes back to abdicating and letting them do it. Um, so there, all of the languages are really interlinked in a lot of ways. Yeah, you know, it's it's takes courage to step back and and let people lead, and it makes you vulnerable as well, and you need to have that trust in the relationship. So they're all kind of woven into each other. Yeah, yeah. And you and you talk about these top five trust killers. Oh yeah, <laughs> which I like. I love the language trust killers. Yeah, yeah. So they are. So yeah. talk to them about the trust killers. Okay, so um, inaction. So um, when leaders don't take action or don't step in and do the right thing or they're passive and they just don't, you know, do anything, that says to people that 
you know, their uh, actions don't align to their words. And, you know, we're always looking at people and leaders and everybody else to to see whether things line up and, you know, it, it, it's like a bullshit radar. You know, you, you people will pick it up in an instant if, yeah. if leaders are saying something and, and not doing the, the what they say. Competition, um, there is no place for competition inside an organisation and, you know, I look at Sony was a perfect example of that. You know, they had all the components of an iPod at the same time that Apple did, but they just had this um, culture of competition and, um, you know, poor behaviours and um, silos and nobody spoke to each other. So, and you kind of think, where would they be if if they didn't have that, if they, you know, had yeah. a, um, a, co- a cohesive leadership group? Um Fear, you know, people living in a state of fear. If you live in a state of fear, you can't trust. Your brain just can't do that. So um, if you don't have trust, then you kind of, I kind of think there's no point. You know, you you, you need to have trust as a foundation. And if you don't, then you've got serious problems. So uh, while people live in fear, they can't trust. Um, blame, you know, this is throwing people under the bus, pointing fingers at people. You know, I've seen this just destroy a function you know, in an organisation because people just took no accountability for anything and they, they blamed others. Um, and then gossip. So, you know, that gossip is a good sign. Where you've got lots and lots of gossip, then, you know, it's a clear sign that there's not much trust going on. So... You know, the taking notice of the internal grapevine is, and what's what's being said and what's going on is a good indicator to whether you've got trust or you don't. So, if leaders have heard those five trust killers, yep, and they can clearly put their finger on one, I think I've got, you know, competition or blame or gossip or fear. Mm-hmm. What can they do about it? Where do they start? What do they do? Yeah. Well, they start with their own behaviours, and um, it's look, it's a it's a journey to come back from low trust, but it certainly can be done, and it involves a lot of open and honest conversations with a lot of people, acknowledging that you know your role in it and how you've led people that with relationships that haven't been had a foundation of trust and you know, what, what you plan to do about that and setting out a plan, but importantly, actually following through and walking your talk. Okay. Yeah. In Chapter 8, you talk about this idea of being vulnerable. Yeah. What are the what are some of the challenges you've noticed or come across when you've spoken to leaders about this idea of, of being vulnerable? Yeah. Because it's not it doesn't come naturally no. to everyone. No, it doesn't. It's scary. Yeah. And we all don't like to do it because it makes <laughs> yeah. us feel, you know, that, that we're exposing our, you know, inner self and our inner secrets and which it doesn't have to be that deep ever. Um, but we, d- we do need to take a deep breath and – it can be as simple as sharing a story about something that has gone wrong in the past or, you know, something that happened that you had a lesson with or something that, you know, somebody didn't trust you and how you came back from that. You know, sharing these personal stories with your people. Um, it, what it says to us neurologically is, um, you know, you're just like me. Because I've been in that situation as well and, you know, and I know how uncomfortable and scary it is. So when we have that commonality with people, um, we find that uh, we build trust easily with each other. So being vulnerable, sharing your stories helps to build trust. Mm. Because I notice I'm pretty active, as most of the listeners would know, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn Mm -hmm. and I tend to quite often see... Uh, videos of people saying, this is my first video on, on, oh, on yeah, LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. <laughs> it's quite interesting to see them go through that. And, mm. and 
in, most of the time, they're actually very good. Yeah. So they have this fear in them themselves, yeah. but that yeah. doesn't actually translate to what me as the viewer is seeing. No, isn't that interesting? It's um, you know, I've done a video for LinkedIn, and it was frightening, and I yeah. did about fifty thousand takes of it <laughs> before I was remotely happy with what it was, and um, and I felt this. It has to be word perfect. Yeah. But somebody said to me. People actually like it when you arm and ar and jump around and go on a thought path and come back to it and because it looks more natural. But you just don't think that. You think that you have to be perfect. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's fascinating and scary. Talk about this idea of connection creation. Oh, yeah. And I'm particularly interested in that because for me – connection is is probably the number one thing that I'm looking to do with the the people that report to me, the people around me, my customers, my suppliers, yeah. everyone. Yeah. So what's this talk to me about that connection well, creation? It's like um we have so much um technology in our face nowadays that I sometimes wonder if we're losing the art of the conversation because, you know, I worked with a guy once who used to instant message good morning to his people who sat within, you know, 10 metres of his desk. So, so yeah, I know, which is like <laughs> bizarre. So, you know, we just don't seem to want to look people in the eye and, yeah. and have a conversation. I mean, you, you know, if you jump on any public transport these days, that's, all you see is people on their phones and and reading and, and not looking up and having a conversation. So um, we need to be able to connect with people to be able to build trust and, um, you know, um, our brains again say this person's like me and if, if you're like me and we've got things in common, then I'm more likely to trust you. So, you know... Um, Getting to know your people is critical and getting to know your peers and your boss as well, more than the superfluous, you know, good morning, yeah, that kind of stuff. You, you need to get to know people in their lives and, and understand that commonality that you have with them. And we all have things in common, yeah. always. Absolutely. Yeah, and anybody who says they have nothing in common with someone is lying or yeah. does it, hasn't looked hard enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the final, in part three of the book, you talk about this idea of practising the behaviour. Oh, uh, yeah. So, so how do people go out and practise these languages of leadership? Where do they start? What should they do? Well, it's, a, it's I always say talk to somebody that you trust, uh, like a colleague or uh, you know your partner or somebody that understands the world that you're in and sit down with them and practice all the things in the book and if you start to practice they then start to be built in in your life when you want to change a behavior it's like a pendulum pendulum moving so you you have to focus on it that it's so much that it feels like it's gone into the extreme before the pendulum comes back and settles in the middle and it's the same with behavior you have to focus on it so much to change it that it feels like the extreme and you're always focusing on it but eventually it comes back to the middle and it's ingrained in your behavior and you do it without thinking so um you know practicing getting as much exposure to the situations that you want to be able to deal with uh, is the first step that I would do and practice practice okay. with a trusted colleague okay mm. uh, are there any books or people that inspire you yes um, so I like um, Malcolm Gladwell he uh, wrote allies. Yeah, I haven't read that, but he wrote Blink. Yep. Yeah, and it talks about, um, you know, how we make, how we look at people and make assumptions at, in the blink of an eye oh, yeah. and, and what that means for us both individually and as a society. Um, so having that understanding of what processing your brain is going through um, quickly can help you to overcome 
you know, your biases that you have, and we all have biases. And so getting that insight is, to me, is very valuable. So he's one. Um, Brene Brown talks about vulnerability. Yeah. The Dare to Lead, is that her book? Yeah, Dare to yeah. Lead, yeah. Um, Patrick Lencioni. Yeah, he's, Five um, Dysfunctions. Yeah, he's really good. Um, and I think that's uh, – and Gabrielle Dolan, all her books are okay. really good. Okay. Um, storytelling, she's brilliant at storytelling and, you know, I think storytelling is a skill that all leaders should have. Yeah. Did you see Patrick Lencioni when he came out? Yeah, I did. How he's was it? Brilliant. He's good. Oh yeah, he's very. Did you see him? No, no, no. Oh, he was very entertaining. Okay. And very insightful. Yeah, he was great. And I'm going to see Brene when she comes out in okay. August as well. Nice. So yeah. So if people want to find out more about you and and the work that you do, where should they go? Um, so I have a website, wendyborn.com.au. Um, or I'm on LinkedIn as well, so they can find me there. Um, or my contact details are in the back of the book yep. as well. So, yeah. And I'm always open to have a conversation with anybody to help them. Yeah, great. Mm. And I'm going to encourage uh, people that if you are going to send Wendy a LinkedIn message, please personalise it. I keep banging on about this idea that if you want to connect with someone who you don't know, personalize the message. Don't just say, I want to connect with you. Uh, it's one of my bugbears. So please connect with Wendy, but please personalize it. Tell her that you heard the interview. Tell her how much you like this interview and, and just make it a little bit personal, please. And there's statistics on that, that Is if there? you personalize a message, I think there's like an 80% chance that people will actually accept. Oh, there you go. I know. There you go. I don't know. I've been banging on for ages and I oh, still get all these I connection requests, just no one taking the time. I know. I know. I agree. So any last words on leadership? Um, stick with it. Yep. is my kind of advice. It's it's hard and it's hard. Some days are worse than others, but keep going, take small steps, keep learning, keep trying different things, keep, you know, um, looking at your fears and keep being vulnerable and, yeah, just keep going. Right. You'll get there in the end. Well, on that note, Wendy Bourne, thank you so much for being on the Sinjin Leadership Podcast. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Well, that wraps up episode 73 of the Synergen Leadership Podcast, another great author interview for you. I would like to encourage you to head on over to the Synergen Group website and engage in the conversation with us. Tell us what you liked about the episode, tell us who you'd like us to interview, or tell us what sort of content you'd like us to deliver to. And if you are an iPhone user, please feel free, head on over to the Apple site, leave us a review. It really does help us build awareness of the podcast. In next week's episode, we have another curriculum ecosystem episode for you where I explore some of the ideas that Synergen Group has around how to manage conflict. It's another great content episode. Until then, love to hear what you think and happy listening. Listening.